Hello and welcome to the Black Millennial Revolution. My name is Kiana Michelle, also known as Key, and you are tuned in to another episode here at the Black Millennial Revolution. What is going on, everyone? What is going on? Very happy to be back here with you all for another episode here at the Black Millennial Revolution. On today's episode, I'm going to let you all know a little bit more about me, a little bit more about Key. And why I'm going to do that is because there's been a few of you all that have been trying to find me on social media and on social networks, such as LinkedIn. And you've also have been asking, Key, let us know more about you. So I think it's really important for me to share more of myself with you all, especially since You know, there's been a few of you all that have been rocking with this podcast since the beginning. There's a few of you all that have stayed consistent with this podcast, even when this podcast wasn't consistent. And I appreciate each and every one of you all. And I also want to say to the new followers that are just tuning into the podcast, um, I really appreciate you all as well. Whether you're new or old, I appreciate every single one of you all. So guys, my name is Kiana Michelle, also known as Key. I am 28 years old from the state of Boston, Massachusetts. I come from a Trinidadian mother and a Haitian father. So I am first generation American. I am a creative, y'all. I have been creating since the age of two. At two years old is when I started dancing at the High Park Dance Academy in Boston. And I danced there from two years old to 18. And I was put into dance class by my Uncle Nolan. So my Uncle Nolan is someone that you all will definitely learn more about throughout podcast episodes. But he is such an inspiration to me, you all. Such an inspiration. He not only was the first person to unleash my creativity, but he's also been a constant representation of what it means to be a black revolutionary and what it means to be black and proud. My uncle is so black and so proud. I will never forget when I went up to him and told him, Uncle Nolan, did you hear? I just found out that Lincoln freed the slaves. I found it out in school. And he flipped out. What? What? Lincoln freed the slaves? Yo, this man flipped out, (laughs) y'all. He flipped out. I will never forget... When one of my other aunts, she's like an extended aunt in the family, she she gave me a white doll for Christmas. And everybody was just like, oh, that's nice that she gave you a gift. That's so nice. My uncle Nolan was the only person that could not get over the fact that they gave me a white doll. <laughs> but why did they give her a white doll? Why did they give her a white doll? This dude was flipping out. My Uncle Nolan, I will never forget when I was bragging as a kid, oh, I'm Trinidadian Haitian. I'm Trinidadian Haitian. Y'all, my Uncle Nolan turned to me and said, yeah, you might be a Trinidadian, you might be a Haitian, but you was an African. That is where your roots lie. And yo, that stuff, everything that my Uncle Nolan has done that has showed me the true meaning of blackness and has also showed me that I need to open up my eyes more, I commend that man. I really do. I commend that man. He is truly an inspiration to me. And he is a constant reminder that black men matter. We need black men just as much as we need black women. 
We really do. Every black child needs both of those people in their lives. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a father. It can be an uncle. It can be a cousin. You know what I'm saying? Just someone that is a male figure or a female figure that is in their lives, really inspiring them to be the best that they can be. So dance was the first form of creativity for me. And, you know, dancing has been something you all that has been in my life since the age of two. I don't even know what it feels like to not dance. I have no idea what that feels like. I danced from two to 18 at the dance academy. I danced in high school in our dance program there. I was the captain of my high school step team. And I also danced in college and choreographed dances in college for an organization I was a part of, Students of Caribbean Ancestry, also known as SOCA. And SOCA is also a very well-known type of music in the Caribbean. So it's a really dope acronym um, for a really dope organization. But other than just dancing, I also was someone that loved to sing. And I loved to write songs as a kid. You know, my creativity was my company. Um, I had a lot of friends. I had family. And I had my amazing grandmother But my creativity was my company and, you know, just being able to create and express myself has traveled with me, not only from the time I was a kid, but even when I was in high school and I first discovered my personal style. You know, I was a follower in high school. I went to predominantly white schools and everybody was wearing the latest expensive gear. So everybody had the Lacoste on, the True Religion jeans on, the Seven jeans on, you name it, and they had it, y'all. Any, any type of luxury brand, they had it. But I didn't have it, and I also didn't have enough money to get it. So when I would go to the flea markets in New York, because that was just something that I would do with my mom, I love to go to flea markets and get these dope gems for cheap. I would find Lacoste shirts for cheap. <laughs> so I was able to get my Lacoste shirts for cheap. And go into school and and show off my, you know, my follower style. But I didn't feel like myself. I felt lost. And the more I followed everybody, the more lost I felt. And it wasn't until, you know, midway in my freshman year, I said to myself, you know what? I can't continue to follow everybody. I have to, you know, jump out on my own and find my own personal style. I I don't want to keep doing this. And from that moment forward, you all... Um, My style has been my safe haven. My style has been a staple of how people actually, you know, really recognize me and know me. They know me not only for my voice and, you know, for me being someone that's really into black rights and empowerment, but a lot of people know me for my personal style. You are a lot of people. And um, it really was my way for me to express myself and say who I was without even having to speak. And I really wanted to go to a fashion school in my senior year of high school. But, you know, coming from a strict Caribbean background, they were like, what? We did not come from Trinidad and Haiti for you to go to fashion school. What the heck is that? Um, So I ended up going to a four-year university, the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Some of you all probably have heard of the school because it's a very well-known party school. (laughs) And yes, y'all, I did party. (laughs) I party hardy, okay? I partied hardy. But it's a very well-known party school, and I ended up studying psychology there. And I was referred to study psychology by my guidance counselor because I didn't know what I was going to go to school for and what I wanted to study. 
But my guidance counselor, you know, her and I had a really good relationship and we would have these deep, rich discussions. And she said, Keith, you know, I really think you should study psychology, just the way you think and the way, you, you know, you, you know, the things you talk about. You have a different type of mindset. I think you really need to tap into psychology. So I took her word for it because I was lost. I said, all right, if, you, if you're telling me I should study psychology, then I'm going to study psychology. And I studied psychology, but I also, number one, also kept thinking about fashion. And number two, I was really interested in the field of journalism. In my freshman year of college, I actually tried to switch my major from psychology to journalism. But I was told that you had to enter with that major already declared. So I said, dang, all right, so if I had to enter with that major already declared, then I guess I'm going to stick with psychology. I tried to dabble into communications for a bit, but when one of my teachers was racist and he tried to compare black women to men and try to say how date rape is the woman's fault, I dropped out of the class and dropped out of the major. And I said, fuck communications. I ain't doing this no more. This is ridiculous. And I also tried communication sciences and disorders as a double major with psychology, which is working with you know, children with autism and working um, with people that have hearing impairments or um, speech impairments. But I also realized that wasn't for me either. So I ended up graduating with a degree in psychology and a minor in African-American studies. So I went on now after college and pursued a lot of jobs that pertain to my major. I was a AmeriCorps member for an AmeriCorps program called City Year. I don't know if you all have heard of it before, but it's very well known, not only in America, but outside of America. And City Year Boston was the first City Year that was ever established. And I was a core member there at City Year Boston, and I served at the English High School in the ninth grade cohort. And that position taught me a lot about purpose. It taught me a lot about that life is about not only finding your purpose, but it's about challenging yourself to be the best that you can be for others, not only for yourself, but for others. And why I say that is because I was going through a lot at that, at that period of my life, but my students was a constant reminder to me that life was about purpose and that my life meant a lot more to me than I could realize it at that time. And it wasn't until, you know, the end of the school year where I was getting ready to graduate from that program and the students all went around in a room and they said to me, you know what, Miss Key, you really changed my life was when I really realized, wow, I had to go through this experience. And after that experience, you know, it took me some time to really figure out what I was going to do with my life. Because y'all, I'm talking about, yo, even there was, there was kids that were in gangs. I'm talking about some of the roughest, toughest kids that were in gangs that were crying their eyes out when I was leaving that school in the program they, you know, like it, it really touched me because it really shows that compassion and empathy goes a long way. I was just compassionate with those kids. I was empathetic with those kids and I never gave up on those kids. You know what I'm saying? And yo, a lot of them, we cried together. It was a beautiful moment. We cried together, but that experience really made me think a lot about purpose and purpose-driven work. And I said to myself, you know what, perhaps youth development is a field I should be going into. Perhaps youth development is a field that I should be doing. And I couldn't find a job in the youth development field. So I ended up after that experience becoming an applied behavioral analysis therapist, which is working with kids and adults with autism. And I had a 21-year-old adult who had low, who was on the lower spectrum of autism And at that point, I was 21. He was 
he was 20 when I was 23. So we, we were only two years apart. And man, y'all. <sighs> now that experience was also life changing because, you know, my client, he was just someone that the program that I was a part of, they really didn't believe in him. They would give him different programs to do to see if he could master. And I remember my supervisor, when we would discuss the programs that we should implement into his behavioral program, she would say to me, you know what? I don't think that he will be able to master these things, but we'll try. We'll see. And just the way she would say that, I would say to myself, what? Nah, we're going to make sure that he not only masters everything that you all are giving him to master, but he excels at it. So learning how to shower was one of the skills that they wanted him to learn. And I went into this blindly, not even knowing that I was going to have to teach my client things like this. I thought I was going to have to just, you know, play with them. And, you know, I didn't, I really didn't know how deep being an ABA therapist was going to be. I I didn't realize it was going to be not only teaching them play skills, but language skills and active daily living skills, teaching them things that we take for granted. And I say them because although I had a client that I was working with at a home client care, I was also working part-time at a school in Boston, the Samuel Adams schools where I was working with kids that had a wide range of spectrum on the autism. So you have kids that were low on the spectrum, kids that were very, very high functioning, kids that were in the middle. And it just all taught me a lot. But for my client that was the home client care client, I had to teach him specifically active daily living skills, how to shower, how to fold his clothes, how to brush his teeth, how to shave, how to make his bed, things that we take for granted. And I will never forget when I was teaching him how to shower. I mean, I'm talking about I had to teach him how to shower, y'all. So he's naked. This dude was bigger than me, you know, taller than me, bigger than me in all ways that he was bigger than me. You know, I remember when I first saw him, I was so intimidated. I was thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? Because his former therapist had told me, you know, he had attacked me once. So just be careful. You don't know if he'll be whole attack. And y'all, I realized working with him, if he had attacked her, she must have had done something to him because what? My client? Huh. My client not only loved me, but he respected me. I I was not, I was nowhere scared of him. Not at all. I had so much compassion for him. What? Please. That's what it made me realize. Okay, if he attacked you, you did something to him. But anyways, I digress. Teaching him how to shower was life-changing, not only for him, but for me. Because when he mastered that skill, just seeing his face, how he would smile at when he was sh- was putting the soap on his body, like, oh, I'm really doing this. <laughs> he was so happy. He would be so happy. He loved to shower. He would be like, shower? <laughs> shower? Like, it's, is it time to shower? And why he liked to shower was because it was his time to be independent. He didn't want to be babied. He wanted to show not only me, but himself that he could do it. And he taught me a lot, not only about life, you all, but about progress and about, and that life is truly about getting better with time. 
to see my client progress in life and to see him be happy about his progression, although he couldn't vocalize it, just the fact that he was saying little things like shower and smile in the shower or be happy once he finished making his bed properly. He was just so proud of himself. It made me proud. And it also, once again, fueled my mind to make me think about the fact that purpose-driven work in life matters. After that experience, I went on to be a student and family support coordinator working with 55 students from ninth grade to 11th grade at a very well-known nonprofit in Boston. And I cannot say the name of the nonprofit because I I just can't stand it. And I'm probably going to say things in other episodes and probably in this episode about the nonprofit. So uh, I'm just going to be professional and not state the name. But You know, that experience was also life-changing because I was working heavily alone. I was forming my own schedule, forming partnerships with the high schools that we served in and that our students were a part in, having um, family visits, so going into the home, meeting with families, meeting with the students, and really creating a plan for the students to really succeed, not only academically, but socio-emotionally. So it was a role that kind of was along the lines of social work, I would say, but I did not have my degree. But at the same time, um, it really not only taught me once again a lot about purpose-driven work, but it taught me that I cannot be in these toxic environments where people are racist against black people and Latino people, but you but you have organizations where you're supporting them. Uh-uh. I can't be in organizations where there's sexism and racism going around. I can't be in organizations where people are turning to me for, 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 for someone to be the office Obama because there's turmoil happening all the time and people keep quitting left and right. It was a shit show, that job. It, was a, it really was a shit show. It really was. But I think just having that experience, once again, of working on my own and not only working on my own, but being able to also work on my own dreams. It was during that experience that I started to work on my own fashion blog and started to work on my own resale fashion business. I started to take business classes. I was meeting with business consultants. I went to a conference. You know, I was doing a lot of, I had a a side job, a part-time job as a resale fashion buyer. So I was doing a lot of things to work on my dream on the side, right? But at the same time, I knew I had to step out of this toxic situation to really work on my dreams. So in 2018 is when I took the leap of faith, y'all, and decided to work for myself. And it was a hard journey. But at the same time, I know that this is the path for me. And it has just been amazing to impact people with my brand, Key to Fashion, and really educate people on the resale fashion industry. Um, I really, really love the fact that, you know, Key to Fashion has been changing the lives of many. But not only have I started Key to Fashion, I've also started a platform for black resellers and thrifters called Blacks Who Thrift. And I'm really excited to get that going because of the fact that it's so important for black thrifters and resellers to have a platform for us. It's so important for us to see that there are other people that look like us in this community. Um, I will never forget when I went to a conference three years ago, a nationwide conference for entrepreneurs and business owners in the resale fashion industry, the number of black people in that room were less than 10. And I was honestly shocked. I was like, dang, like what? And I remember before I went to that conference, my mother was like, oh, 
there ain't going to be a lot of black people there. Black people are not really, you know, into thrifting and reselling. And I'm like, really? Uh, I think not. I think a lot of black people are. But, you know, she was right about the fact that there wasn't a lot of black people that were there. But she's definitely wrong about the fact that there aren't a lot of black people that are into reselling and thrifting. And I definitely want to challenge that notion. I want to influence more black people to thrift. I want to influence more black people to get into this industry because a lot of us are highly materialistic and a lot of us don't realize that it doesn't matter how much Gucci we own or how much luxury brands we own. You know, the true style confidence and the true meaning of who we are all comes from within. It all comes from within. Also, I can't tell you how many times I know people that will go out out of their way to get these expensive outfits. And here I am coming with my thrifted outfit looking better than them. What? <laughs> Girl, I would be pissed too. You know, I would be pissed too. So there's a quality, a better quality of life that's associated with thrifting. You know, there's a support for individuality. And most importantly, we're supporting the environment. Fashion is the second highest polluter in the world. And with this climate change going on, it's so important for us to get into this thrift industry. It's so important for more of us to get into it. So as I was doing my thrifting and having this business going and and feeling really good about it, there was a voice within that kept telling me, you need to use your voice. You need to speak. You need to use your voice. I've always known that my voice has been a gift from God. When I speak, people listen to the point people will tell me, Key, when you speak, people listen. But I really started to realize as time went on how much I really needed to use my voice, how my voice has helped me out even in times of trouble. I will never forget when I was a senior in high school and I plagiarized my senior essay. This was the essay that we needed to write in order to graduate. And I plagiarized the entire essay, y'all. Mind you, the essay was about the Harlem Renaissance. (laughs) And I plagiarized it. Like, come on, you know. But I was just over school. I had senioritis. I got into college. I was over it. So I plagiarized my essay. And my English teacher approached me about it and let me know that he knew I plagiarized my essay. And instead of sending me to the principal's office, because I was already on probation, I was on, I believe, I don't think it was called academic probation, but I was on probation for skipping classes. I kept skipping classes so much in my senior year because y'all, I was over, I was over it. I was someone that did so well from freshman year to junior year that, that by the time senior year came and I got into college, I said, all right, I'm skipping classes. I, I don't even care no more. So they put me on probation. So I couldn't skip classes anymore and stuff like that. So if my English teacher had went and told the principal and my dean at the time that I had plagiarized my essay, oh, they would have enjoyed that because they were looking for a reason to get me in trouble. They were. But instead, he said, you know what, Kiana, I'm going to give you a chance to revise this essay. You have until this day to revise it. Just let me know when you're done. And I know the only reason why Mr. Fisher allowed me to redo that essay was because of the fact that I was one of the best public speakers in the class. The English course that I was in was called Public Speaking in Writing. So we had to write speeches 
and then recite them to the class. Or we had to write essays and then recite them to the class. And I'm talking about people used to go up to the podium and be shaking, y'all, like shaking. And I would go up and recite my speeches like it was nothing. And to the point my teacher would smile and say, yeah, like, Kiana, that was great. Like, you're a natural. Like, you did, it, you did it like it was nothing. So I know the only reason why that man gave me a chance is because of the fact that I was one of the best public speakers in that class. In college, I hosted several cultural shows and events. I hosted the fashion show. The, the um, not the actual show itself, but the pre-show, which I wanted to host, y'all. I wanted to host that part of the show. I wanted to have people come in and walk through and get their pictures taken and ask them about their outfits and ask them about why they chose their looks. I loved that. I did. But I also realized looking back on it that people gave me those opportunities because of my voice. That is why. Remember, I, did, I wasn't able to major in journalism in college. Remember, right? So it, it was just my voice that gave me those opportunities. Even when I worked at the nonprofit that I told you I, I can't tell you all the name of. I will never forget when I ended up doing an accidental speech to defend my boss. And after I did this speech, it was, it was such a serious speech because I had to let them know about the racism that my boss had been dealing with to the point I started tearing up because she ended up leaving the job because of it. And that was her last day. So everybody was saying bye to her. And I had to let everybody know the truth. And everybody kept coming up to me. Even white people were coming up to me and saying, Key, that was a good speech. That was a great speech. Key, what a great speech. Mind you, I'm looking at them people like that wasn't a speech. That was just me speaking from my heart. And, you know, all these experiences is what I'm essentially trying to say to you all. Really open up my eyes to realize I need to speak to the people. I need to speak. And I started a podcast in 2018 called Young, Gifted, and Black. And I would you know, do a few episodes here and there. And I would end up being like, oh, these are not good enough. Let me stop. Let me stop. And it wasn't until 2019 that I changed the name of Young, Gifted, and Black to the Black Millennial Revolution. And I knew I just wanted to speak to Black people because especially at that point in my life in 2018 is when I was really starting to learn more about our people. I was educating myself more. I was learning more about Huey P. Newton and the Black Panther Party. I was learning more about Nina Simone. I was learning more about James Baldwin. I was learning a lot. And I was being heavily impacted by everything that I was learning about. And it made me think, you know, I really need to speak to the people because there's so many things that I think about when it comes to being black that I realize a lot of people don't feel the same way. I love being black. And I realize a lot of people don't feel the same way. And I don't, I can't put no black person down if, if, if they don't love being black. But I pray that you all find this podcast. I pray that someone shares this podcast with you because my biggest mission here is not only to have you all learn and think critically or hear my insight. But it truly is for you all to embrace your blackness and to love being black. 
If there's anything that I want you all to walk away with, it's that. That means the most to me, you all. It really does. So here I am now. Yes, I am still working on my resale fashion brand, but I am also heavily taking this podcast seriously. I am. And shout out to each and every one of you all that contacted me in the midst of me being inconsistent due to my own perfectionism. I appreciate each and every one of you all letting me know, Key, we really appreciate the content. Keep up the content. I can't give up because of y'all. And I will not give up because of y'all. So you all, that's just a little bit about me. You know, I am a creative. I'm a dancer. I'm a fashionista. But I truly am a humanitarian. I truly believe in helping the world. As crazy as it sounds, you all, I want to change the world. I used to say that as a kid. I want to change the world. And looking back on it, I still do. The world needs healing. Not only just physically right now, because I know the coronavirus is going on, but mentally and spiritually. The world needs healing. And I really do hope that with this podcast that you all do feel a sense of healing. That this serves as a safe haven for you all. I really do. So I don't want to bore you all, you know, for talking about myself too much. And there's so much more to say about me, but I want you all to learn along the way, right? I'm definitely one of those people. I feel like when you start to peel the layers and really discover more about me is when you really find out the true essence of who Kiana Michelle is all about. So I peeled off a few layers for you all. But as this podcast goes on and I share more stories with you all and get more vulnerable with you all, I will continue to pull off more layers. And I hope in return that you all pull off some layers and get vulnerable with me. I hope in return that we're able to really connect and establish not only a strong community here, but unity here. I really do. You all, before I go, I just want to let everyone know that there are new social media platforms up for the Black Millennial Revolution podcast. There's an Instagram platform and there's also a Twitter page as well. So I definitely want you all to follow those pages as well. Um, and, and yeah, I definitely hope that you all learned a bit about me, but there's so much more to learn. You know, I let you all know, um, about a little bit about me, but there's so much more to learn. You know, I'm thinking right now, like, you know, my grandmother is someone that you all will definitely learn more about as well. Um, she's definitely someone that is a huge inspiration in my life and a big reason why I believe in speaking to people and, Speaking life into others is what I'm saying. My grandmother was someone that believed that anybody could get better with time. I would watch people go over to her house being sad and broken and leave just from the power of her words, feeling empowered. She was a great woman, you know, and and I'm excited to share more of the stories about her and to share more of my life with you all. But 
As I wrap up this episode, don't forget to follow those pages I told you all about. Don't forget to share this episode. And I hope you all, you know, enjoy this episode. And I hope you all get to learn a little bit more about me. I hope you all did, you know. I really do. So thank you once again for tuning in to the Black Millennial Revolution. And as always, I hope you all a great one. And lastly, you can follow me at underscore bad gyal, G-Y-A-L, style, on Instagram. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode here. And have a great one. Bye now.